Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. What's up, guys? Welcome to today's episode. I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with an absolutely inspirational woman by the name of Lauren Eric. And Lauren, she was a lifelong athlete and quickly fell in love and found success in the bikini division of bodybuilding. She quickly rose to elite status and competed for two years as an IFBB pro, competing both years at the prestigious Olympia. Now, Lauren's passion for health and fitness was a driving force behind her coaching. However, she recognized a need for change within the industry to promote true and sustainable health for both competitors and lifestyle clients. Lauren believes that health is a term compromised of many facets. She measures true health by things that cannot be measured by the scale and her coaching incorporates mind, body, and soul. She has a philosophy that is the best diet is the diet that you can adhere to. This is about creating a sustainable lifestyle, not a quick fix. And in today's conversation, we just have an opportunity to talk about how dieting really is more than we what we put into our mouths. It's also what we put between our ears, which is a quote from Lauren. And we also really talk about what it's like to go from being the high of the high, very successful as a professional athlete, down the road that Lauren has currently went down. And that is the process of gaining weight, learning to love herself, and really going down this pathway of sharing a beautiful message to her audience about how to be happy. So you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation. We go deep really talking about how to build a strong foundation, how to truly love yourself without some sort of title or without some sort of job. How do we truly at the core love ourselves? Hope you guys enjoy. Hey Lauren, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. It's good to connect with you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your patience with my crazy schedule. No worries. I think you just got back from Costa Rica? Yeah, I was gone for three and a half months. And so when I came back, there was a lot to catch up on. Amazing. What inspired the trip? You know, I had thought about going to Costa Rica for quite some time because I felt like I needed some healing and some time away to just focus on myself and focus on my work. So I was inspired by that. And then I also thought about doing a yoga teacher training while I was there, but I ended up not doing that and doing a silent retreat instead. So things ended up working out great, but not as intended. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the silent retreat. It was one of the top five experiences of my life. I've been very much into meditation and yoga and breath work over the last, I would say, since December of 2017, so almost a year and a half, and really exploring that side of myself and spirituality. And so I was really intrigued by this silent retreat, especially because I think I really had a fear of being alone and not only being alone, but being alone with my thoughts really sounded terrifying. And I very much so believe that if you are scared to do something, you should probably do it. So I knew it would be a good growth opportunity for me. And sitting in the silence, what did you learn? Oh, man. It's so difficult to put into words. It's a really beautiful experience. And the best way that I heard it described, and this is probably going to paint a good picture for everyone, is... Somebody said to think of your mind like an ocean. And most of the time, we're at the top of it, where it's really choppy and you can feel the waves. But as you get more and more into the silence, and as the days go on and you go deeper and deeper into the ocean, it's really calm and it's really still, right? You move away from those waves. 
And I feel like that's what it is. It's a different way of getting into your consciousness. So there were some takeaways for me. And usually when I have these type of experiences, I always take away to not take things so seriously. So that was a good one. Different ways to be present was another. That was probably a really big moment for me is because I share so much on social media, I was always thinking in my head about how am I going to share this? How will I describe this? Is this share worthy? Will people find that interesting? And there was one moment one day and I just decided I'm not going to try and share my experience as it's happening or try and remember all of this. I just need to be here now. That was a really big turning point and it was it was beautiful just to enjoy nature and felt so incredible to be comfortable with myself, to just sit there with nothing and be so content. Mm, there's so much beauty in all of what you've just shared there, Lauren. Do you feel as though this contrasts very differently to what your life used to be like? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive yeah. into that. Let's dive into that. I'd love to know your story. Um, where should I begin? Let's go back to the origins of maybe bodybuilding and that whole avenue for you. Yeah. So it started off as I've always been an athlete my whole life, just really active. Even as a little girl, my parents used to tease me about that, about taking me to my brother's football practice. And they're like, you would just be running laps around the track just for fun, like for the whole time. And I grew up with four older brothers. And so I've just been, you know, really tomboy, very athletic, all of that. And for a long time, I've actually really struggled with food and an eating disorder as well. But that would kind of come and go over the years. And at one point, I felt like I was making good progress with that because I decided to instead focus on training and more so kind of strength training and powerlifting, which gave me an awesome opportunity to focus on what my body was doing rather than how it felt. And I felt like in a good place. I felt confident. I felt strong, which felt amazing, but I still wanted to change my body. And I knew the thing that was missing was nutrition. So I hired a coach and I dove into that. Um, not with the intention of competing, actually. I just felt like I'm in the gym all the time and I'm doing all this meal prep and cooking and all of these things. So, you know, I should just do a show. Why not? Which was kind of a weird thing to why not, but that's what happened. And I ended up winning my first show and the overall title. So it was kind of like a hot start out of the gate. And I very quickly kind of rose up in that. I did six NPC shows and had a few overall titles. Or I did five NPC shows. And on my sixth show, it was my first national show, I earned my IFBB Pro card. And, you know, right after that, too, I did my pro debut and I got second place at Sacramento Pro. And there was a lineup of 30 pros. It was a really big show. And then second place at the next show a few weeks later. And it just didn't slow down and it didn't stop. And neither did I. That pace of that quick success was very much the pace of my life. And looking back now, I feel like a lot of people get caught up in that momentum. And it's not even just about bodybuilding. A lot of people get in, caught up in that momentum of life. And to me, that conveys a lack of trust in myself. Because I felt like if I don't continue to ride this wave... I can't swim back out and catch the next one. So it was always this very urgent, now is the time, now is the time. And I understand that. I understand why people do that. I understand why I did it. But it does convey a lack of trust to me. There, It is very motivating and it's exhilarating and it's addicting. But uh, there's something to be said for slowing down. And, and I never did that, <laughs> ever. So why the change of pace? What happened? So let's see, I did 19 shows in about two and a half years, and my last season bodybuilding was horrible. I didn't want to compete. I mean, I wanted to compete, but the way that my body was responding, it made me not want to compete because, you know, when I first started, it was really fun, and losing weight was relatively easy. I had a great time training, and I had won my last pro show the year before, so I was automatically qualified for the Olympia and I had just gone, and it was a wonderful experience, and then I qualified for the next one at the end of that season. And uh, so I felt like I had to go. I wanted to go, and I felt like I had to go, but my body was not responding, and that was due to, you know, I had just done nine shows that last year and had a really long season and was at an incredibly low percentage of body fat for far too long. 
I had a lot of stress in my personal life because, of course, with bodybuilding, I was kind of neglecting my personal relationships and other things. And my professional career with nutrition coaching was also taking off because I had a lot of momentum. And I was just trying to keep up with everything, and it was too much. But, yeah, I just found that I was really struggling to lose weight. Like, it was abnormally hard, and it took me – a very, very long time. And my dieting had to become more and more extreme. And by the end of that season, I ended up making it to the Olympia stage. I got 12. But I started around that time. It was actually right after the Olympia having crazy problems. And just in the fall of that year, they just got worse and worse. And I thought that I'd maybe taken care of it or was on a a little healing path because I took 10, 10 to 12 weeks and just sort of chilled. But yeah, things actually ended up getting a lot worse. (laughs) During 2018, I ended up uh, with really bad estrogen dominance and HPA axis dysfunction, which is sort of a medley of problems. My epinephrine and norepinephrine were too high. So that those are your stress and adrenaline hormones. My cortisol was off. I had really bad estrogen dominance, Uh, menopausal progesterone. I wasn't making enough hormones on my own. My thyroid was suppressed. I had unstable blood sugar. My blood pressure was not stable at all. Uh, That was really scary. And I was just having a lot of problems. And I gained a lot of weight really rapidly as well. So I was worried about my health. I was really attached to my physique and worried about that. So that's how I kind of ended up taking this other path of some holistic healing. Mm -hmm. What did you do in terms of your healing process, Lauren? So initially, um, like I said, I took a little mini break about 10, 10 to 12 weeks where I just stopped dieting and stopped exercising and my weight remained really stable. So I thought, oh, this is awesome. You know, my body seems to be responding really positively. I actually look better and all of these things, but, um, I gained 15 pounds in a month and that was when I started dieting and exercising again. So I knew that something was really off and I immediately went to my primary care physician and told him everything that I was experiencing, which a lot related then was shortness of breath because I was actually having so much fluid retention in my body. It was difficult to breathe. You know, the blood pressure problems, just feeling incredibly tired, very fatigued, not feeling good when I worked out all of these things. And he wanted to do some labs just like your metabolic panel, so some basic blood work. And I said, I think those are probably going to come back fine, but you and I can both agree that this isn't normal for someone my age and for someone that does what I do. And I felt so discouraged when I was in there because he asked me regarding my weight gain if I had eaten a lot of sodium. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> and I pulled out my MyFitnessPal and I was like, here's my average for the last two weeks. It's actually on the low side. And with everything going on on Instagram, there's a lot of people, a lot of competitors that have similar issues. And so that's somewhat reassuring and helpful because it points you in a direction. So after that, I reached out to a functional medicine specialist and we were able to do some more comprehensive hormonal testing and things like that. And that's when we figured out what was going on and saw the bigger picture with the HPA axis dysfunction. And again, it's very, very difficult as somebody that is so go, 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 um, competing nonstop to Olympias, working more than full time training and doing so much to have somebody tell you, you shouldn't be in the gym, you shouldn't be exercising, and we need you eating at a surplus. And don't get your heart rate over 115. (laughs) You know, you can go for walks, but that's about it. And I fought that for a long time. It was really, really uncomfortable. Like I said, I've been a lifelong athlete. And so to see my body change so rapidly, I was 35 pounds above stage weight. I ended up getting 40 pounds above stage weight, actually. And to just look so different and on top of that, physically feel so bad, coupled with the psychological difficulty that I had with letting go of the attachment to my body, um, it was just really rough and it was really difficult to then also let go of this other identity that I had of, well, who am I if I'm not an IFBB pro? Who am I if I'm not a fitness influencer? And who am I even to myself? Like I can't even go exercise for myself. Screw, screw being a pro, screw being a fitness influencer. Like I have never gone my 
life this long without running ever. And so, yeah, that's, that's where the, the meditation and the breathing and the yoga came in. Yoga was actually one of the first things I've, I've kind of dabbled here and there with yoga, but that was the only thing that I almost started crying one day when I went in there because it was the first time in a very long time that I was able to connect breath with movement and feel connected to my body again when it, when everything felt like just everything that I had known felt lost that I just remember that day where I went back to yoga and felt that. Mm. So much power in that Lauren. Now, if somebody's listening and they're going through what you've struggled with and, and the story of so many competitors, what kind of advice would you give to them? Oh gosh. You know, I think a lot of this happens because a lot of competitors as well are just fitness influencers, people that are really hard on their bodies and things like that. We often brag about being so in tune with our bodies and it's true. And I was very in tune with my body too, but that means that I wasn't listening to it. Doesn't, doesn't mean being in tune doesn't mean that I was listening and I wasn't listening. I was ignoring. And I feel like with everything that happened, it is, you know, your body's talking to you and it's talking to you gently at first and then it gets a little louder and then eventually it really starts screaming at you and it will force you to stop. And I think that really getting back in tune with that voice and honoring your body and what it's asking for is the biggest thing that you can do. So really taking care of yourself. It's super difficult to go to no exercise, eating at a surplus. Oh, now you want me in bed for eight hours a day and all of these things. But you have to start showing yourself some grace and love and compassion and really listening to what your body needs and not what your mind is telling you to do because usually those are two different things. And I think another big thing that I had to move through was really just showing myself compassion on all levels. And What do, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, letting forgiving myself for making the decisions that I made. I had felt a lot, you know, it really, really sucked to just sort of be, like I said, feeling so poorly on every level and kind of had this feeling of like, I did this to myself. And I was just adding on to those negative feelings by blaming myself for the position that I was in. And I do have responsibility for that. I'm not saying that I shouldn't take responsibility, but there's a difference between acknowledging that responsibility and by continuing to add on to the guilt and the shame and everything that's happening. Those are some of the most low vibrating frequencies, and they're not conducive to your healing and for you moving forward, right? Like things just happen, and that's all that they are. Like life just happens. I've that, w- that was another big turning point for me was I was trying to figure out what happened. Was it this? Was it that? Was it a culmination of events, X, Y, Z? And I just realized at one moment, it, it didn't matter. I'm here now, and this is where I am, and I really don't have anything to feel bad for. It's kind of weird how, you know, I felt really bad ashamed, embarrassed, bad about that. There's people that gain weight for all sorts of reasons, pregnancy, car accidents, breakups, stress, crises. And, you know, people just start to shame and guilt themselves even more. And it's like, look, you're a human being. This stuff happens. That's normal. Just let it be. Mm -hmm. How do you put the self-love piece into that, though, when it's hard to gain weight for a lot of people. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror if you've been very lean or been at a certain body fat. How do we learn to love ourselves and love our bodies when they no longer look the way that they once looked? Yeah, it is really difficult. And I think that a lot of people that have been watching my journey, they feel like, and I felt like this too, looking at Instagram, when this first started to happen to me, how come I don't love myself like that? How come I'm not able to show myself that kind of love? And it is super frustrating. You know, I'd go to workshops and events and things like that and explain a lot of this to people because it was part of my healing. And to have people look at you and say, you are so worthy and you are so beautiful. And to kind of rationally know that, but to not really feel it is hard. And it's just, it's a practice. It's one step at a time. It certainly doesn't happen overnight. And in the beginning, it was 
I was, I mean, I had estrogen dominance, so my hormones were going all over the place. I was crying a lot. But a lot of that, too, was because I was just psychologically so distraught. It was difficult from going and being one of the top pros for two years in a row to just not even recognizing myself and how I looked or how I felt. And in the beginning, I had to hang out with people that really saw me and saw my beauty even when I did not. And I don't just mean physical beauty. I mean the person that you are, the things that really make you beautiful, not just your physical. And it took a long time before I started to realize that it's really sad that I reduced myself to only my physical, that I only thought that I was worthy and worthy of love and all these things when I looked a certain way or when I presented myself a certain way because, yeah, we're so much more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one of the quotes that you wrote in your bio I found to be very interesting, Lauren, and that was that diet is so much more than what we put it in our mouths. It's what we put between our ears too. Can you tell me mm-hmm. about that, what you mean? Yeah, I think that comes down to, that's another thing when I'm telling people about practicing self-love and kind of protecting their peace is what are you consuming? And not just food-wise. Food is huge. I mean, and this is also, this has kind of been a sticking point for me. People are like, think that self-love just means, how do I want to say this? A lot of people think like self-love is just just like a, a, an excuse for free-for-all. I love myself so I can eat whatever I want and I can ex- not exercise and all of this, but that's not it at all. It's really about taking care of yourself. So what you're consuming, are you really making good choices to make yourself feel good and feel good in your body? What are you watching? What are you scrolling through all day long? How does that make you feel? Because it has a huge impact on you. And so just being really conscious about what you're taking in on all levels, it's all tied together. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some good sources or places to go to enrich our minds or fill our minds with good information? Oh my gosh. I feel like there's so much now that it's kind of hard to sift through almost. And it really depends on what you're looking for. I started getting really into breath work, which opened me up to a whole new world of writers and authors and things like that, or going to certain yoga teachers that have a adhere to a certain philosophy and things like that. So, and then there's, there's things that are also more quote unquote mainstream that kind of have these ideas too. So prior to all of this even happening was I read a book called You Are a Badass, which I love. And I still love that book to this day. It's really, really good. So you have something like that, which is a bit more mainstream. And then you have something like The Untethered Soul, Uh, by Michael Singer, which is a lot of the same concepts, but it's just a little bit more philosophical. So really, I mean, this information is, and maybe that's how it feels to me. It feels like it's all over the place now, but it's definitely out there and available in all different forms. Mm -hmm. Did you change the people that you followed on social media to change the type of information you were receiving in that space too, Lauren? Yeah. So one thing that's really cool is I definitely, I made a a new Instagram account, which actually was really kind of freeing in another way. I used to have a Lauren underscore fit Instagram account. It was like over a hundred thousand followers and just a hundred percent competition based. And I felt really identified with Lauren fit. Like It felt like another identity. And so when I started making these changes, I actually made a new account, Lauren.Irick, which is just my full name. And I started to, yeah, initially I had a lot of the same audience. Not every, obviously not everyone came over, but I had a lot of the same audience. And initially I started following some of the same people too, because I am still friends with some competitors and, and things like that. But I really took that as an opportunity to start following things that make me feel really good. So yoga accounts, inspiring quotes, things that I just like to look at, 
like succulents or super adorable hedgehogs or nature or whatever it may be, you are in charge of your Instagram feed. And so you get to curate it and make it whatever you want. And we spend a lot of time on Instagram for sure, society as a whole. And so when you're on your little scroll break or whatever you're doing, make sure that you end that session feeling good about what you've just consumed. Mm -hmm. And even seeing different bodies. I know for me, that was a powerful part of my own healing too, was not only seeing competitors and their shredded bodies and the low body fat percentage, we can get really in a place where we think that to be normal because that's all that Uh we see on our feed. We need to see other bodies to know that the body that we have is is very normal, even though it's not what we are used to seeing. And I think following accounts that are that are showing regular bodies, I think is a really powerful thing for me when I was pregnant with my first son. Um, that was a big part for me. I was like, oh my God, I need to follow pregnant people so that yeah. I don't look at my body and think like, oh, why do you look like this? Because that's what my feed was prior to that. I didn't have any pregnant people that I was following and so it was very like I was hard I was being very hard on myself just because I wasn't exposing myself to those normal bodies so I I think that's such a powerful part of it of feeling good from those scrolls and not allowing that to belittle you by essentially comparing yourself to other physiques Mm -hmm. you nailed it it totally I think you're doing this comparison thing and then also when you are I can say this for competitors for sure being on Instagram and have following only those type of accounts. And then, you know, being at the gym, I went to a gym where there was just a lot of competitors or then you're at the shows and in those environments and the rest of the time you're kind of hermiting at home. So your sense of normalcy just gets totally skewed and of what, what is a normal body and what does a normal healthy body look like is just not there anymore. And Yeah, they've done studies, too, about showing um, the effects of following people that are more your size and how it has a better impact on how you're feeling about yourself. I couldn't agree more. You just nailed it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that there's been studies on that because I I can feel the power in that and sense the power Mm -hmm. in that, but it's good to see that they're doing research in that department as well. What would you say is the message that you're really trying to put out there, Lauren, to the world? Mm-hmm. That is a good question. (laughs) I think I've been trying to figure out that message as well, you know, tying it up really tidy. You know, it's definitely regarding self-love and self-confidence and just knowing that you are inherently worthy. But like I said, it's very tricky because with everything that's going on these days and just being really politically correct and all of this. And, you know, these topics are super controversial because we do have a lot of people in the United States that they're not, it's not even like you have to be obese, but people just aren't really taking care of themselves or it's really probably a lack of education though regarding food and and whatnot. But we just have like rampant disease and things like this. So it's always a fine line between promoting self-love and self-acceptance versus these messages that we've sort of been inundated with, with diet culture of not being enough. And I really think that ultimately something that is true for me is just when you're finding your motivation and where you're operating from, it should not be from a place of fear. And that was really one of the biggest takeaways for me throughout all of this is I was just always operating out of a place of fear, fear of not being enough, fear of failure. And that pushed me. I mean, I would even create narratives and stories about how like, you know, oh, these people probably just want to see me fail. And you have this defiance and all these things. Or we even hear those things normalized all the time. Like, oh, your boyfriend broke up with you? Well, make him regret it and all these things. And it's like, those aren't healthy. They, they certainly can be good motivators, but those things are never sustainable long term. So to really just start moving out of love and love is really, really powerful and it's one of the highest vibrating frequencies. And so I always like to think, man, if I did all of this out of fear, imagine what I could do if I started moving out of love. 
And so just really thinking about moving out of love and honoring your highest self. Mm-hmm. Would you say that those would be some of the guiding principles that you try to live your life by? Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, One thing I'm still really working on is being more open and more open-hearted. It's just, you know, in some environments, it's really easy. And I can feel myself being so open and raw and vulnerable. And it's a wonderful feeling. It's so beautiful. But, you know, I come back home and the environment's different and everybody's kind of rushing around. And I get sucked back into it, too. And... That's also something that I've actually been thinking about this week is I felt so accepting of myself in in certain environments and really like embracing and celebrating. And I can tell that I'm not at that same level anymore. I still, you know, have all these same mindset and it's still there. I'm glad that it's very, very strong. But I just noticed the other day, I thought, huh, I kind of feel like I'm comparing myself a little bit more. And maybe feeling a little self-conscious. And I thought, where's this coming from? This is the total opposite. Well, not the total opposite, but it's just weird to have these feelings kind of creeping back in. So, you know, also just taking a look at where they're coming from and identifying any behaviors for myself or anything that I'm doing that could be contributing to that. Maybe, hmm, I don't know. It's a good good question for me. Like, what, what am I doing that is contributing to me feeling like that? Because ultimately, I should be able to feel very open-hearted no matter where I am. Mm-hmm. It can be tough, though. Environment, I think, very much changes us, right? Like you've oh, seen yeah. it. You've seen it from traveling, and I can totally relate to that too. Do you feel like the United States is your long-term plan, where you'd like to stay? No, I don't. You know, maybe part of the year, the Portland summers are amazing, but my parents are moving to Spain. They've already started that process. They're just home for a little bit now, but I also lived in Germany for about two years when I was much younger, and I had reverse culture shock big time when I came back from that, and I remember a lot of that being related to my body and how I felt about myself because I just felt, I rem- and I wonder how much of this is just me projecting out, but I remember feeling like really judged and like there was a lot of focus on appearance as whereas when I lived in Germany I felt really valued for my thoughts and opinions and the person that I was regardless of how I looked so um, I don't know it is something that I struggle with because I think well what does that do if you leave (laughs) the environment should you stay and try to improve it and make a difference and a change and make things better the way that you'd like to see them or do you go where you feel more happy and content and where you you feel like the things that you value just that there's more alignment there Mm -hmm. so difficult question but you know I don't really foresee myself staying in the states but that's also not always an easy task to do (laughs) yeah are there things that hold you down where you are no not really I'm (laughs) I'm pretty free um you know I'm single I do have my condo, but luckily the housing market is in my favor here, and I don't have a lot of possessions or things to that are holding me down, so to speak. So, Interesting. Could you see yourself doing your job, living somewhere else? I, I believe you work in the online space, so that could be something of a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And while I was away, I did work online, but... I just felt like there were certain things that I had to take care of. But yeah, I don't know. I just felt like there were things that I needed to take care of at home a bit. Yeah, very cool. It's Yeah, it's a weird – I don't know if you – it's weird. Sometimes you feel like – maybe because life is so great, you feel like, am I slacking somewhere? I had a hard time giving myself permission to do that for sure. Yeah. To really enjoy where I was and not just be – yeah, it just felt really different. So that was hard. Mm Mm-hmm. I could understand why for sure. Coming back, did you feel overwhelmed or do you feel like you picked up just where from where you left off? I know for me, I always love travel. I love getting away, but I can't help when I get back feeling this sense of like, well, I have to get everything done that I missed while I was gone, even though really, yeah, I don't know why I feel that way. But it's like, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. I have a really hard time like not feeling as though I have to grind really hard for like another three to four weeks to like make up for it, which I don't know why I'm like that, but I always find that like whenever I come back from vacation and 
yeah, I don't know if it's just like something that's pre-programmed into me, but it's almost like taking those that time that was away and then just slamming it into the period when I get back. Yeah, what is that? You're like, <laughs> you should come back all chilled out and relaxed and you just you are don't. instead like, I got to get this done. Yeah, um, yeah, we feel this sense of like, but I, maybe it's the root because we're entrepreneurs and we have our own businesses. So we feel as though like, I don't know, maybe it would be different if I had a job where I was just an employee. Maybe I would feel different. Maybe I would be like, okay, cool. And then you maybe would come back and not feel that. I'm not sure. You know, that's a really good point. I just think when you're a business owner and you work for yourself and an entrepreneur, there's literally always something that you can be doing. Mm -hmm. Always. And so, (laughs) yeah, I think you just, yeah, you come back and you feel like, oh my gosh, I've not been working 80 hours a week or 60 hours a week. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I got to get back on it or cram all this in. But, you know, it's like, got to go at your own pace. You have to remember that you're in charge of that. And I I often forget that, Mm -hmm. but I'm working on it. Yeah, for sure. I think the other challenging part too is, do you not feel like... Like anybody who's been successful in bodybuilding or in any sport, really, do you not feel like there's a little bit like within you that gets shit done kind (laughs) of, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of a little bit, it's a blessing and a curse. It's like, yes, you know, it's really funny to talk now that I'm talking to people that are, and, and here's the thing is when you work also in coaching and nutrition, you also kind of attract a type of person, right? Like Mm -hmm. these type A, a lot of times it's like nurses or doctors or like, there's just like a lot of one group and it's these people that are really, really driven. And so some of it is within you for sure. It's just like part of your makeup. And it's crazy to talk to people that will be like, I got to get motivated. I need to step up and do this. And I'm, I'm like, oh, the, the practice for me is learning how to do less yeah. of letting go. It's not stepping up. It's stepping away. Like, yeah, that is, that was a huge, you know, that's something that I've been working on this whole time too is, and like I mentioned with less working out and, and things like that, it's like, you seriously have to just sit with it sometimes mm-hmm. and yeah, get shit done really forceful. Cause that's what you, th- that's your mindset. You're like, Oh, I can do that. No problem. I'll just yeah. go do it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of strength and rest and stepping away. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. So what does training and nutrition look like for you now, Lauren? So I started doing body weight workouts in the fall of 2018. And that was really exciting and really tough <laughs> because I hadn't been working out for so long. So that was exciting to get back to that. And then probably for about eight weeks now, I've been training with weights And so I'm back to that and I'm even doing a little bit of HIIT cardio. It feels good to be back in the gym for sure, but also still really big on yoga and getting in this more yin type activity with just stretching and breathing. And so it's been a beautiful opportunity for me to start fresh and start from just with a clean slate. Because knowing what I know now, I would have approached bodybuilding totally different. Of course, more breaks. But you know, I think at one point, I was like, I have done more stretching in these few months than I ever did in my whole bodybuilding career. And really focusing on these nourishing activities that give back to my body and feel really good. And giving myself that permission to rest. That is, by the way, a great tip for if you have a difficult time resting and taking some time for yourself, go do some sort of class or activity where you are carving out time specifically to do it. Because, and I'm sure you can relate to this, if you're like, oh, I'm taking a rest day, it's Sunday. What that ends up turning into is, well, I'm going to go walk the dogs and wash the car and go do this. And I'm going to start all these projects around the house and you're not really resting and you you need time to go offline and with your phone, but also just kind of turn your brain off and really be gentle with your body and restorative. So that's what movement looks like now. And in regard to nutrition, I actually signed up with a coach, which was a big step for me because I'd been intuitive eating for so long and I felt like, oh, I don't know, I just felt really nervous about it, but I needed to be held accountable for, again, nourishing my body in a in the way that I knew that I needed to, because I'd be kind of eating all over the place or not eating at all, not making it a priority. But that has changed drastically too. 
Um, I know that when I first started dieting and bodybuilding, I was like, give me all the Walden Farms and sugar-free this and that. And that's just, I couldn't imagine eating that now. So just really using whole nutrient-dense food all the time. Again, things that are just so nourishing and I know are going to serve my highest good. Mm, I love that. And I feel like too, it's even understanding that for so long, we kind of think we're healthy. We're eating these things and doing these things that are like in alignment with the competition prep lifestyle. But, and maybe from an external perspective, some people think that we're healthy or think that we're doing things that are in alignment with our health. But in actuality, it's not really about that at all for us. It's more, we're so like often health is in a terrible place, but we're supposed to be these role models in the space of health and we're far from it. So I have a question for you because this is something I've been thinking about. What would you call that then? Because I have no problem with competing. I have a problem with competing under the guise of health because it's not, it's absolutely not health. It's very extreme. And it just got pushed over into this health and fitness category, which is a broad category. So how would you categorize competing if you wouldn't put it in the health category? I think it's like an athletic category. I feel like competing is like playing soccer or <laughs> kind of like in like it's I think it's more so falls into just being a sport or just being something within yeah, athletic. I don't I don't I feel like a lot of people put it when they follow people on social media, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to eat what she eats." I'm going to do workouts mm-hmm. that she does. And they're like, oh, she's so healthy. And honestly, a lot of fitness influencers do say they're healthy. They they aren't talking about the issues that they're experiencing. They're not sharing the like dark side of the ways that they're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're portraying that their health is perfect. And competing, yeah, it's just, to me, it's just another sport. It's like gymnastics or like anything else in, in that space. But for some reason... So much of social media puts it in the space of, okay, these are the the like healthy people that we should be following. And I think in actuality, if we're trying to get information when it comes to health and, and nutrition, when it comes to food, we should be looking at people that are in the space of professional nutritionists who know what the hell they're talking about in that space versus somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of credentials behind their name or even a lot of experience when it comes to nutrition. Um, and they're just sharing what they've been passed on from their coach and what's worked well for their competition prep diet. Yeah, that passing on. And like you said, for competition prep, like that's another thing too, is I don't really prep competitors anymore. But you know, just being in that space, I'm so shocked every single time how many people are still doing these really it's an extreme sport no matter what, but people that are just doing like crazy, crazy extreme things to get to stage that you have to be a bit extreme, but like I said, some of what I hear is just crazy and anyone can get you to stage if they starve you hard enough and long enough. I've seen it many times, but really to find someone that is prioritizing your health and trying to get you there in the safest manner possible totally different story and it's and it's also just a different story what of a lifestyle client versus what a lifestyle client needs to do versus a competition prep client mm-hmm. absolutely so what would you say differentiates or what do you what would you say are the things that you work with lifestyle clients now what are the things that I guess would be red flags or too extreme like um, versus a more lifestyle-based approach? You know, I think when it comes down to it, it's all about that timeline. So many competitors do not want to wait. They want to get on stage in 12 weeks. It doesn't matter how much weight they have to lose. And there are some coaches that say, oh, you've got 30 pounds to lose. Well, we can do that. That is way, I mean, people do it, but that is way too fast, too unhealthy, too extreme. So I think really it just comes down to that timeline and when you have a lifestyle client because they don't, it's interesting, right? Because the show is kind of like this carrot and this reward and pressure of like, you're going to be on stage in a tiny bikini in front of some people. So the heat is on versus a lifestyle client who doesn't have that. And so they're more willing to say like, okay, I'm so proud of these 10 pounds that I lost in 10 to 15 weeks. 
And you know what? I, I really want to lose more weight, but um, I'm kind of getting a little bit of diet fatigue or I have this vacation coming up and I'd like my intake to be higher so I can be more relaxed around my meals and, and more flexible. And, and so I think I'm going to reverse. And then after that, I'll evaluate where I'm at and if I want to do another cut and try to lose some more weight versus this extreme and again like you're saying it becomes nor the shredded bodies become normalized and so do the methods to get there right it just becomes more and more extreme and more and more acceptable because everybody around you is doing it too mm-hmm. how do you convince the the client who always wants to drop weight drop weight lose weight lose weight who's like just been in that cycle back and forth for so many years how do you convince them that not dieting may be the best option for them. I know it is so difficult Um, (laughs) because I've been there too. I think, you know, you just have to explain, you know, there's always those people that come to you that are eating 1200 calories or a thousand calories and they're doing an hour of cardio a day and all this. And I just say, if they say, I want to lose weight for my vacation in four weeks, I always just say, I could probably get you to lose a couple of pounds by decreasing your food even more and increasing your cardio. I'm not going to do that because ultimately we need to look at the big picture here, which is what, what are you going to do to lose weight? Like you don't have any wiggle room. So you have two choices. You can really continue to starve and continue to run yourself into the ground with all the exercise that you're doing, or you could eat more food, step off the gas a little bit. And I can pretty much guarantee that if you're diligent about it, you're not going to gain any weight, you'll maintain weight, or maybe even lose some weight. And it's just, I just explain it to them as like, this is a necessary part of the process. You have to do this because we just don't have anywhere else to go. So I don't know if that's the best best way to explain it, but I'm kind of like, oh, you don't have a choice. (laughs) No. And I just don't think enough. Well, I mean, we know about it because we're in this space, but to the average general population person, they haven't heard anything about that, right? All they've ever heard is like, well, for my body weight, I'm supposed to be eating this amount of calories, and so this is the amount of calories I'm supposed to be eating, right? So they, I, I feel as though, especially for women, it's not as like widespread in terms of knowledge, and maybe they don't know very many other people who have went through that process either. Like, unless you get into this space, most of your friends – they're probably not going through a process of reverse dieting or going through a process of like building muscle or going through a process of maintenance. All you ever hear about if you're in that, like if if you don't really have a lot of friends that are in this space, all you really know is like, oh, hey, did you hear that keto worked really well for Susie? That's the kind of information that the general population has is it's very, um, like those concepts just are new and obviously scary for somebody that all they've ever done is diet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a really powerful question that I like to ask women is, when is the last time that you were not dieting? And Mm -hmm. this all circles back into like, why are you constantly dieting? What are you trying to achieve? And what do you think that that will bring you? And I guess that's my message really is that is my message. (laughs) Thanks. Now that we're circling back is, you know, I like to use myself as an example. It's like I had over a hundred thousand followers, which I know a lot of people really want over a hundred thousand followers, 12th in the world, multiple sponsorships, magazine cover, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? I still wasn't happy. I was actually really miserable and hyper-focused on my body and very negative. And you just need to be happy now. So coming back to that, like what you think dieting is going to bring you and what you think that that body is going to bring you, absolutely not true. I think there is something to be said for showing up for yourself and being consistent, honoring your highest self. And sometimes that does mean showing up for yourself in regard to health and fitness and weight loss and building credibility with yourself of like, you know what, I'm not feeling good about what I'm eating. I don't want to make those decisions anymore. And I'm going to choose something that feels more in alignment with my highest good. And building that credibility, yeah, can absolutely make you feel amazing. But it's not the dream body. It's everything that goes into it. And it's a lot of things outside of that as well. It's realizing your inherent value and worth. And that's something that you just have without any of your achievements, without your body, without any of that. So, yeah, 
that's another thing too. It's just like, stop, stop the dieting. What do you, and obviously, not obviously, I didn't even mean to say that, but sometimes too, the dieting is like, and this was it for me competing. There were so many things in my life that I wanted to ignore that competing was a great outlet for. I just put all my energy into that and it was quote unquote paying me back with, you know, all of this stuff I was getting, but I was really ignoring my relationships, my anxiety, all these other stressors in my life that I really, you know, I wanted to travel all the time because I never felt, I was just like trying to escape all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so actually when I went to Costa Rica this last time, I thought, oh, I feel kind of sad. Like I don't want to leave. And that was a new feeling for me because I realized, oh, I'm, I'm happy here and I'm not trying to run away. Mm-hmm. So just really sometimes dieting is like a symptom of what is really, or that, that feeling of wanting to diet is just a symptom of something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you, Lauren, for all the valuable pieces of information you shared. I love this conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and connecting with me on all this. It's definitely something that we need to get out there for sure. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, where can people find you if they want to connect with you online? Yeah. So Instagram is the happening, popping place, uh, lauren.irick, I-R-I-C-K, or you can go to my website, laurenirick.com. Yeah. I think that's probably the best way with those. You can DM me anytime. I'm really responsive there or shoot me an email. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. And we just end the podcast in the same way every time. And that is, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, how would I like to be remembered? You know, I would just, if I were to die tomorrow, I would just, I, it just reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote, people won't remember what you said or did, but they'll remember the way that you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that I kind of make people feel really warm and loved. And there are certain people in my life that make me feel like that. And that's really just the the feeling that I want to give to people. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation with Lauren Eric. And I highly, highly recommend that you go and check out her Instagram and see the beautiful messages that this woman is sharing. She's doing an amazing job at putting that self-love piece out into the universe and sharing so much power behind what she's been able to create and what she's been able to come to in her journey of finding self-love. So thanks for joining me. I will catch you guys next week. As always, lots of love. Bye. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.